Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes, and this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is Growing Up, featuring stories of white flight, lady skateboarders, and obtrusive man-hugs. Josh Willis learns that Catholic guilt and illegal fireworks don't mix. Diana Levy refuses to admit she broke her ankle, an idea with a man crush that went just a little bit too far. But let's not dawdle. First up, NASA scientist and frequent contributor to the show, Josh Willis. Uh, I think growing up, you know, sometimes we don't realize the kind of social forces at work around us. You know, and I, I look back um, at my childhood pretty recently, and I realized that uh, I, I was actually part of white flight. My parents actually, uh, when I was about uh, uh, nine or ten years old, you know, my dad put us in the car, and we lived in Dallas, you know, and in case you don't, in case you don't remember about white flight, let me give you a little history lesson just for a second. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s in this country, there was a long, hard fight for civil rights, uh, which eventually ended, and the government finally said that you could no longer force black people to sit on the back of the bus. Um, it was a great thing. And then in the 70s and 80s, all the white people who lived in cities said, fine, and they just moved way out into the countryside where there weren't even any buses. <laughs> and so uh, that's what happened to us. We moved out of Dallas, and we drove south until there was nothing left but horses and cows and white Protestants. And it was really crazy because it was so uniform, you know. It, I mean, it wasn't just racially uniform. It was really religiously uniform, too. I mean, I only knew one kid who was Catholic. And everybody else was Protestant. And his name was Sean Fitzpatrick. And you know, he was our, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Couldn't have guessed. Anyway, he was our buddy. And, uh, but there were some things we kind of didn't get. You know, like I, we really didn't understand the whole Catholic guilt thing. And um, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's not true for all Catholics, but Sean just went around all the time feeling horribly guilty. <laughs> Which, like, and like, I don't know, like, when, if, you, if you grew up in a Protestant church, you know that the only time you're supposed to feel guilty is when you're actually in church. You know, when the preacher's like, you can't hide your sins from Jesus. And then afterwards, you go out to Fuddruckers, you eat a cheeseburger, and you forget all about it. But I guess I don't know about the cheeseburgers or something. Anyway, so uh, we, it was the last weekend of summer on my sophomore year, right before my sophomore year of high school. And the one good thing about living way out in the middle of nowhere, this tiny little town called Red Oak, was that it was legal to purchase and own and possess and ignite fireworks. And so we decided the last weekend before school started, we were going to have a blowout and we were going to shoot off all of our fireworks from the 4th of July. Now, I don't remember the reason why we didn't just do this in my backyard. Uh, but for some reason, the four of us piled into Sean's car and we went driving around looking for some cool place to shoot off all of our fireworks. And we wound up in DeSoto, the next little town to the north, where it is not legal to own or possess or shoot off fireworks. But we found this beautiful little city park. It was utterly deserted and we just lit the place up, you know, Roman candles, firecrackers everywhere. And uh, that lasted about 30 or 45 seconds. Um, and then we heard that dreaded sound, you know, the one that all teenagers fear, boo, and the blue flashing lights. And my one friend, Matt, sprang into action. He said, everybody into the bathroom. 
And Matt, Matt was that kid who he always knew what to do when the police showed up. And so we follow him into the bathroom and he starts flushing all of the fireworks down the toilet, which to this day I think is the most genius criminal like device I've ever heard of. I mean like, how did he know that was gonna work? How did he know it wouldn't just, anyway, it worked. And we flushed our fireworks and we walked out you know, really scared, but kind of confident. You know, they can't get us if we don't have any fireworks on us. So the cop is the kind of stereotypical southern cop harassing a bunch of uh, young hooligans, and he says, you boys are about as dumb as a hat full of cow patties. This is a city park. The police station's right over there, which explained the very fast response time. He said, all right, I know you guys got them. Let's see the fireworks. And we said, hey, they're all gone. We don't have any more. Well, this made him really angry. And so he started searching everyone. And I mean, like, patting people down. Pockets were turned inside out. Every little thing in the pocket was scrutinized. You know, what's that? That's chapstick. What's it for? I mean, it was just brutal, everything. And we were just freaking out, sweating bullets. And my friend Sean, he was really scared. You could see the sweat standing out on his forehead. <laughs> And sometime during all of this, I reached down into my right front pocket and I felt one last firecracker <laughs> that had fallen off the, uh, all, off the string. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, this is it. There's no way. They're definitely going to get us. So the cop finally gets to me and he pats my left pocket. He says, what's that? I said, it's my wallet. He says, let me see it. So I pull it out. And then he pats my right pocket. He says, what's that? And I said, keys. <laughs> And he said, all right. And he walked away. And I thought, oh my god, we're going to get away with it. I, th I, I thought, you know, I can't believe it. We're actually going to get away with it. So the cop looks at us and he says, all right, since you guys don't have anything on you, I'm going to be forced to let you go with just a warning. And right then, Sean screams out, we have some more in the car. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the ticket was about $300, um, and it actually read, for possession of a controlled substance, oh fireworks. Uh, we helped Sean pay it, the, the three or four of us, we all chipped in, we helped him pay it, but we did learn an extremely valuable lesson that day. Never let the Catholic kid drive the getaway car. <laughs> Next up, Diana Levy. I... Uh grew up in New York and I decided to go to college in LA. I had watched far too much Laguna Beach and I had convinced myself that the West Coast surfer skater girl inside me needed to live out in LA and that was the person that I was going to create for myself in college. <laughs> I was born, should have been born on a skateboard, should have been on the ocean surfing, but instead I was living in New York, walking on pavement. So when I got to LA, very quickly I was like, yeah, no, I snowboard. Any of you guys do that? No, not really, okay. So, but I wanted to be cool like everybody else who was riding around their skateboards. And very quickly I had bit gone on to thefacebook.com, because it was the Facebook then and um, had found that there was a very cute boy named Sean Tierney in my grade who had this very same interest in me as not only being like a cool <laughs> West Coast surfer kind of guy, but he was playing beer pong in his Facebook profile picture 
which meant that he was my soulmate because I was holding a red solo cup in my Facebook picture, <laughs> and so we should have definitely been hooking up and dating, what have you. So we start messaging the first week to each other, and then it like escalates to texting. I'm like, I am going to, my first week of college, make out with the cutest boy I've ever seen, and I'm gonna look like a cool skater surfer girl all at the same time while painfully being from New York. And so it was the Thursday night of college, the first big bus party night, and he and I were texting. He was like, yeah, totally, like, let's meet up after. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Like, I don't even care what I'm doing at this bus party because I'm going out back after, and I'm going to hook up with Sean Tierney at his dorm, and he's so cute, and blah, blah, blah. So then I get back, and I'm waiting for Sean Tierney to text me, and I'm like, and um, kind of <coughs> hanging out with other boys who are not as cute, waiting around for this boy to text me. And I look, uh, I look down and suddenly Sean has texted me and he's like, yeah, come over to Wayland. Come over to my dorm, we're playing beer pong. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and, but right at that time, this really disgusting boy who I will call Boner Boy was hanging on me, wanted, like hanging on me with his, like, <coughs> with his boner touching like my lower thigh, just like <laughs> touching my thigh and I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to get to Sean. I know he's waiting for me. And so I grabbed the closest thing I could to like superhero myself over to Waylon, which was my friend's skateboard. And I got on the skateboard, and I was riding for about 10 to 12 seconds, first time ever on a skateboard. And I hit a crack. And I fell back. and. I hit the ground, and the first thing I said was, I broke my ankle. And the people that I was with, they're like, no way, you didn't break your ankle, because they're all like skaters. They're like, no way, man, you didn't break it. I'm like, no, I, I really think I broke it. No big deal, whatever, like, lift me up, bring me over the sidewalk. My foot, my right foot, was literally facing the other direction. If I could have walked backwards, that's the only direction it would have taken me. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, lying down, people are starting to gather, it looks really, really fucking bad. And I'm like, I gotta text Sean, I gotta tell him I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> so I grab my phone, I'm like, this is before iPhones and smartphones, so I'm like, hey. Sean, <laughs> not gonna make it, fell, let you know later. And he's like, what do you mean fell? I'm like, don't worry, all cool, check in later. He comes down, he's like, what the hell has happened to you? Now there's like 30 people surrounding me. I'm like the girl with the broken leg, the ambulance comes, I get off in the ambulance, I head down to the emergency room. I have my one friend that I've met with, um, so far because I've been there for four days. 3,000 miles away, I've been there for four days and I'm in the fucking ambulance and I haven't had a drink. <laughs> and so I get to the emergency room, still calm as a cucumber, like texted Sean, he knows that I'm okay. <laughs> We're in the emergency room, it's gonna be fine. I'm probably gonna have crutches for a couple of weeks. The doctor comes in and he's like, yeah, we should probably x-ray this. I'm like, no, it'll be all right, don't worry about it. 
And then at the same time, this nurse is like gently stroking my leg. Like she's, like it's a pet. Like she wants to do something. I'm not sure what she wants to do. And then suddenly she just pulls it back, yanks it over, and then shoves it back in. And it was the most excruciating pain that I have ever felt. And then the doctor comes back with the x-rays and he's like, yeah, so you're going to need surgery. If you look here at this x-ray right now, your ankle's actually shattered in over 30 places. So um, if you could just sign here and here for your surgery. I was like, excuse me? I have to call my parents. There's like a lot of stuff going on right now. I can't. I mean, just sign myself away to a surgery? How long is this surgery? How long am I going to be out for? What do you mean? I just thought I needed crutches. You just straighten it now. Like, this is not a big deal. I call my parents. They're still up on vacation in Tahoe because they just dropped me off at school. They're not even back in New York yet. Not answering the phone. <laughs> call my family in New York, my sisters. They're 25, 26. They think I'm drunk dialing them, ignoring me over <laughs> and over and over again. So finally, what ends up happening is my parents come down, I get surgery, I have a six inch plate and seven screws put in my right foot. I get moved to a wheelchair accessible dorm, which is a sophomore dorm, which means I have absolutely no friends. And Sean Tierney decides to take me out on a pity date <laughs> because he feels so bad for me because I spent my entire first semester of college like this in a chair. <laughs> And he takes me to a pity sushi, sushi date at the Quickie Mart on our campus. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, no, it wasn't a big deal. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And I just remember having this moment. Like, how did I do this? How did I end up here? How did I spend my first semester of college in a wheelchair with no friends, like addicted to painkillers, like really dark, really, really dark. And I realized that. It was because I had come all this way and I was so committed to being somebody that I wasn't. And it was the worst thing I could have done for myself. And that's when I really grew up because I realized that the best person you can be for yourself is just that, yourself. And finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. I would like to stress for this story that this is in no way about homosexual advances. <laughs> This is a story about a man who liked another man a lot. <laughs> this is the story of a non-romantic man crush that went just a little bit too far. So in 2007, I moved with my then-girlfriend to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we set up this really nice house that was about a 45-second walk from the University of Michigan Stadium. When it was football parking season, we would charge people $40 a car to park in our yard, and people would do it. We made an extra 4,000 non-taxed dollars a year. I know. Saturday game days are always big events, so you got to meet your neighbors. And the neighbors that we met were these, this couple that were around our age and had our similar interests, and we got along very, very well with them. And for the purposes of this story, I'm going to call him Huggy, and her, Mrs. Huggy. So Huggy and Mrs. Huggy uh, took to us, and we all started uh, couples dating. 
where we'd all go out to movies. We'd all wa- we'd watch Lost together. Um, he and I would go to the gym together. We would drink wine and talk about life. It was great. But one thing kept happening that I picked up on quickly was that of our, fo- of our quartet, only two of them would hug and only one of those two would initiate it. So every time Huggy and Mrs. Huggy came over to the house, immediately he would run to me and just hug me hard like we'd been in a war and we'd seen some shit. And this started escalating more and more to where my girlfriend and I started laughing at it that what is happening right here? So we started doing an experiment, which was, here was our statement. What will it take for Huggy to not hug me anymore? So I would try different tactics. One of them was when he would come in the house and come to me, I would close my body off to see if that was a deterrent, and it wasn't. He would just hug me from the side. There were other times where I would be in the other room on the phone when they showed up, and he would come into the room and say, hey, man. That didn't work either. Eventually, I just accepted it, and uh, we kept trying new things, but I just accepted it. Now, we would go out on couples dates a lot, and we called them that, where we're going out on a date tonight. And one of our couples dates was to go see the movie Leatherheads, and my girlfriend and I got there first, and we're sitting in the, uh, in, in the row. Huggy and Mrs. Huggy arrive, and they stand at the end of the aisle, and they start to converse back and forth, presumably to see who are you going to sit by? <laughs> so Mrs. Huggy goes first, and she walks past me. I stand up politely. Uh, she goes past. She sits next to my girlfriend. And then as I'm sitting down, arms grab me, pull me close, and I can feel breath on my ear as well as a lip on my ear as he says, I'm really looking forward to date night. <laughs> now, it may have been... My reaction to this may have been a couple reasons. One, uh, in the movie Leatherheads, a friend of mine was in that and had a a nice role in it. And I was way off in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I felt so far away from the world that uh, I knew for a long time. And uh, maybe I was kind of upset with that and where where I was going. uh, Or maybe I was just grumpy from not eating food. But when he grabbed me and said, I'm looking forward to date night, I turned to him and said, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Never do that again. And he got up, and he walked and sat next to his wife. And we watched the shitty, shitty leatherheads. I felt terrible. He felt terrible. Everyone was uncomfortable. A few days passed. I get emails from Huggy, and then I get another email from Mrs. Huggy. Oh, please, he, he does this. And, um, and then I felt terrible. And one night we decided just to bury the hatchet, and I went over to their house, and I said, I'm sorry, man, I overreacted. Uh, just so you know, this was not... Anything other than it was just a personal space violation, and I got a little weirded out by it. I apologize. He said, I'm sorry, too. I should not have done that. And it was a very touching moment between the two of us. And then we stood there, and there was nothing else to do except hug. (laughs) So to answer the question of our experiment, what does it take to get him to stop hugging me? Nothing. Nothing will stop it. That's it. 
That's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Josh Willis and Diana Levy. Also thanks to Jason McNichols, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. You can like Funny Because It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. While on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. The more comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes, plus it appeases my staunch desire for approval and acceptance. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on historic and douchey Hollywood Boulevard. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. Receive this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.